Namaskar and welcome to Radio Eka. My name is Shruti Deora. And my name is Priyanka. And we are your hosts for the Radio Eka podcast. Eka is a place to learn yoga nidra, pranayam, and meditations from India. We have a mobile app and we also offer daily meditation classes on Zoom. If you want to try the app or join our classes, please check out our website www.ekameditation.com or just check the show notes. So in today's episode, we'll be talking about how yoga asana compares with other forms of exercises. Yoga is traditionally a spiritual practice, a practice for the body, mind and soul. But today, the asana practice of yoga or the modern postural yoga is quite popular around the world. And it is often practiced as a form of exercise. In this episode, we focus on this active component of yoga or the asana practice. So Priyanka, we have often wondered if one's objective is to stay fit and healthy in layman terms, how does the asana practice compare with other popular forms of exercises? Yeah, and this question is really interesting because there are so many preconceived notions about yoga, such as it is only a flexibility practice or it is just stretching, or even that if you do yoga, you should not fall sick. So so we want to really examine closely what it is that the asana practice does to our body and what is it that we need in terms of movement and exercise on a daily basis. And is yoga enough for that? So for me, for example, with yoga, I feel I'm much more aware of my body and my breath. My posture has improved. I feel lighter and I feel alert. However, I also feel like, you know, I'm putting on weight and maybe I don't feel as hungry through the day as I used to do before. Interesting. So um, bang on. And I, I agree with the body awareness and posture parts. And I think yoga helps me move my body in a holistic way and it leaves me in this wonderful centered place Um, it also I feel supports my other forms of exercising like I do feel the need to go for a run or do weight training so I do love my asana practice but I sometimes feel the need to include other elements in my fitness routine this this then is a very interesting and relevant topic right Um, and As we start looking for answers to these questions, uh, whether yoga is enough, we fortunately came across Dr. Neha Gothe, uh, director of the exercise psychology lab at University of Illinois in the United States. Dr. Gothe in her work explores the biopsychosocial health benefits of physical activity across the lifespan. So she is the perfect person to talk anything about exercise. Wonderful. So welcome, Dr. Neha. Uh, Given the evolution of our society into sedentary lifestyles, which has limited our natural ways of movement that humans had for centuries, people have had to incorporate new ways of moving and strengthening. So in today's world, one has a sedentary job and has to design an exercise schedule. What is it that one should be doing to get the maximum benefit for a long and disease-free life? Yeah, yeah. So um, 
usually in the in the context of exercise and exercise prescription um, most of the evidence at this point in time points towards the fact that it has to be of a certain intensity and there has to be a certain dose um, so just like we talk about medicine right if you have an infection the doctor often recommends antibiotics and you have to take them twice a day or 10 days or 7 days until that infection goes away. And at that point, your body will recover, you'll start to feel good and healthy. Um, so it's pretty much kind of trying to get at a similar prescription for exercise. And I'm, I'm talking exercise or physical activity holistically. So it could be yoga, it could be dancing, it could be aerobics, it could be swimming, cycling, walking. But there is a prescription now based on the whole body of evidence um, I think the earliest studies date back to the 1950s. Um, they were very rudimentary. We didn't have fitness trackers at that time. We didn't have health trackers at that time, but there is a whole body of literature since the 50s supporting many, many health benefits of exercise and different studying different forms of exercise and what they can do for health and wellness. Um, so the current prescription stands at 150 minutes of moderate intensity aerobic exercise. So there are pieces to this puzzle. So 150 minutes, which means in totality per week, uh, you, need your, you need to amount to 150 minutes of movement. It has to be aerobic in nature. So it has to be something that exercises your cardiovascular system, your heart, your lungs, um, something that gets your heart rate going. Um, and it has to be of that moderate intensity. There is some evidence uh, pointing to whether there can also be, uh, if you can compromise. So in a way that instead of 150, can I do 75 minutes, but can I up my intensity? So can I go for 75 minutes of vigorous exercise? Can I just go all out and sprint for 75 minutes every week? Um, or do something that's extremely high intensity exercise for um, 75 minutes. And there is some evidence which suggests that those two types of things will get you similar results. Um, physiologically, they are different in the moment, right? Running, sprinting is very different from walking physiologically. Um, but in totality, if you were to amass the, all the science, all the evidence in just aggregate all the health science and studies, it suggests that 150 minutes of aerobic or 75 minutes of vigorous is going to get you some good solid health benefits. Uh, just a quick clarification there, when we say moderate intensity, let's say for a layperson that would mean brisk walking or jogging or maybe cycling or something like that. Is that yeah, something that will get your heart rate uh, to go a little bit faster. Mm -hmm. um, there is often a reference used in our literature, like if you if you don't have any technology, if you don't wear a smartwatch, you don't wear a Fitbit, you cannot track your heart rate, how do you know that you, you are doing moderate intensity exercise? And we refer to it as the talk test. So if you are able to have a conversation as you're walking or exercising, that's light exercise. If you are able to have a conversation, but you have to stop to catch your breath, that is moderate intensity. 
And if you just cannot hold a conversation and it's you have to pause more and more and more frequently, then that will be really vigorous intensity exercise. So there is that talk and sing with desks, as they often call it. So that helps you gauge whether you are really getting to that point of exertion. And each of these can be a different, um, I mean, the same activity as regular exercise Absolutely. that person may be able to bike for 10 kilometers pretty easily and be able to talk to you as they're biking along. But if you have a 30 year old who is not very high fit, is obese, has some chronic conditions, for that same person, biking 10 kilometers could be a tall order, and that could end up being vigorous exercise as opposed to light or moderate exercise. So it is very subjective based on the health status of that individual, um, chronic conditions, obese, obesity-related markers, um, general genetic and health history overall that can determine what intensity of activity the person engages in. Hmm. So that's quite insightful. 150 minutes of moderate intensity exercise or 75 minutes of high intensity exercise is what an adult needs for longevity and a disease-free life. Uh, that's a really clear insight from all exercise research. I wouldn't have thought so. So brisk walking, cycling, running, clearly all fit the bill. But then I'm not so sure about yoga asana. I mean, my own practice leans towards the hatha style, which is a very slow practice. So Dr. Neha, where does yoga fit in all this? Um, there is also another recommendation, uh, and that is that the body needs two or more days of strength training or muscle-based exercise. Uh, and this is where yoga or other forms of exercises, which are not aerobic in, in nature, which are not aerobic by default, come into play, right? So cardiovascular fitness is just one piece of the puzzle. Um, there is body fat and body composition, which is big part and important. So it's your ratio of water to fat to muscle in the body. It's so important for all types of metabolic disorders, obesity, diabetes, many, many others. So there are different components to fitness. And the second recommendation about doing two or more days of strength training or muscle-based activities is also recommended based on the evidence, based on the science. And these muscle-based activities can be, again, any type, uh, as long as you are using your different muscle groups. Um, you can use weights, you can use resistance bands, you can do yoga, um, you can do Tai Chi. Um, so there are different ways in which you can exercise all your muscles without necessarily getting your heart rate high, without necessarily making that activity aerobic in nature. So these are the two primary prescriptions at this point in time in the science. Um, and all this evidence is across different countries, across all kinds of studies, across different populations. Um, the recommendations are a little different for young children. So the recommendations are age-based. Um, so the, the ones that I shared with you are for adults and for older adults. 
for children who are under 18, um, they are a little bit different. They are actually higher, as you would expect. Uh, for children, you would expect that they actually double. They, they need an hour a day of playtime or movement time. So the prescriptions for children are higher as compared to those for adults or older adults. Um, okay, thank you so much. That was really helpful. Uh, just a couple of quick clarifications there. One is when you said uh, two days of muscle uh, training, uh, how much time? Uh, is it still like an hour a day, less? Or I mean, how much time? Yeah, so for the muscle strengthening activity, they don't quantify it by time, but the clause is that you have to exercise all major muscle groups. Twice so, a week. Mm -hmm. twice a week so you can't just be doing push-ups twice a week you can't just be doing squats twice a week you have to use everything from the neck chest back abs lower body so all major muscle groups of the body have to be exercised twice a week um, preferably on non-consecutive days so taking a rest day in between those is recommended so sounds like yoga provides you with the muscle strengthening component that you must include at least twice a week. Interesting. Hmm. So is yoga enough? Well, I think maybe if you included 20 minutes of Surya Namaskars or 10 minutes of warm-ups in the yoga practice, perhaps some part of the cardiovascular requirement could be derived out of the asana practice itself. Is that correct, Dr. Neha? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, there are definitely certain styles of yoga which can become high intensity. Um, if you go to a very uh, vinyasa style practice where the instructor is just moving you along different sequences at a very fast pace, then that could easily get your heart rate to go higher. So it, it becomes at that point almost like a a combination of strength and aerobic forms combined into one session because not only is your heart rate high, but you're also continually using your body to do different movements, to balance yourself, to hold yourself in different positions. Um, so it can definitely be a combination. And that's where a lot of the newer exercise trends have come in. So there is something called CrossFit. Um, I don't know if you've heard of that, but it's essentially alternating between aerobic versus strength. And you're trying to do one workout which has a combination of both um, and so I think there are certainly styles of yoga that would fit into that kind of a mold where um, even though historically we often think of yoga as being something that is more uh, a gentle calming relaxation mindfulness meditation breathing focused activity um, there are certainly styles of yoga which could make it a very quick high-intensity aerobic form of activity. Okay, so there is a way to derive these benefits. Uh, but I would think that yoga originally was not intended for that. And none of the traditional schools would probably agree to yoga being characterized as a fast-moving cardiovascular workout. So, mm. <laughs> so just uh, uh, limiting ourselves to the prescriptions that scientific studies so far have provided Yoga does fulfill the muscle training requirement. However, one must include medium intensity cardiovascular work workout, for example, walking, jogging, cycling, or maybe just you know climbing stairs as one comes back from work. 
in one's routine. But it's also amazing to me that yoga and maybe brisk walking enable us to meet the exercise requirement right out of our homes. And we don't really have to go to the gym or spend a lot of money to remain fit and healthy. Of course, it depends on your fitness goals, but within the overall prescription from science. Especially in India, our parents' generation didn't have access to gyms. And still, I would say the access is fairly limited. Yeah, it is really amazing. And uh, I think historically, uh, that's why yoga must have been so popular. So I think this was a great discussion. Thank you so much, Dr. Neha. And uh, uh, I think now as a next step, we need to examine the muscle training component in a more nuanced way. Uh, sequencing in yoga is so important and how to train the muscles is quite different uh, in different exercises. Uh, our yoga teachers would always talk about the importance of inversions and balancing postures. So it typically takes many months or years to build the strength required for arm balances, for example. So there's definitely a lot more to muscular fitness. And yoga also is recommended so widely for a variety of diseases, right from diabetes, BP, PCOS, PCOD, etc. So I wonder why that is the case. Um, so Dr. Neha, are there any other things about exercise that scientific research does not yet have clear answers to? Certainly, the, the practice itself does target various components of fitness. So like earlier, we talked about aerobic fitness, cardiorespiratory fitness. So that's one piece of the puzzle that's undoubtedly the strongest predictor of longevity and longest strongest predictor of health. But there are these other components, like you mentioned, there is muscular fitness, there is morphologic fitness, there is metabolic fitness, um, there is flexibility and agility. So some of these components become important, especially for certain populations. Like, for example, a lot of my work focuses on middle-aged and older adults. So for them, that flexibility, agility, balance components are really important because that really determines whether they can live independently, they can function independently, whether they need to go into an assisted living facility or they can continue to live independently in their own homes doing their everyday chores. So there is definitely aspects to uh, fitness which become important at different stages in life for different individuals. Um, and so any type of exercise prescription really needs to be customized to the needs of that person, to the health of that person at that given time or that given phase of life. So that's very insightful. Thank you. And maybe what we need to do as a next step, Priyanka, is to delve deeper into the goals for muscle training and how different exercises such as weight training or Pilates and yoga address that component of fitness. So in the next episode, you will hear from gym instructors and experienced yoga teachers about what muscle training entails. Until then, get your cardio and follow the exercise prescription. Namaste.